0: Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 421. My name is Minter Dial, and I'm your host for this podcast. This week's interview is with Kevin Eikenberry. Kevin is a world-renowned leadership expert, speaker, consultant, and author of many books, including being a two-time bestseller, while also being chief potential officer at the Kevin Eikenberry Group. In January 2021, he published The Long Distance Teammate Stay Engaged and Connected While Working Anywhere, co written with Wayne Turmel, and that goes along with their Long Distance Leader Book, which they also wrote together. In this conversation with Kevin, we discussed the challenges of making remote work work, the future of offices, how to insert serendipity into your distance relationships, ethics, and practical tips to deal with the slog of emails and your remote communications. You'll find all the show notes on Minterdial.com. Please do consider to drop in your rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Kevin Eikenberry, lovely to have you on my show. I had the privilege to be on yours uh, to discuss leadership. And you are a uh, master writer. You have written several books. And the ones that I, you're basically the long distance man, as far as I can see it. Um, As long opposed dis- to the
1: long-distance runner, which I am Indeed, not. Yeah, let's just be yeah. clear.
0: Long-distance runner, what you stand in there for? That's a grateful day. Um, so Long Distance Teammate was the book I got really interested in. Uh, we've also written a book, um, uh, I think at the same time, almost really, The Long Distance Leader, and uh, co-written with your uh, co-writer, Wayne
1: Termel. So in
0: your own words, how would you like to describe yourself, Kevin?
1: Well, let's see. I'm a husband and a father and a son. I'm a proud farm boy. Uh, I'm proud to own a company that's, that I get the chance to work with a bunch of really great people who are really, really smart. And uh, we've had the great opportunity to help leaders in 43 countries and organizations and nearly that many over the last 20 plus years. And uh, that's enough.
0: And tell us about how you earn your keep these days.
1: Well, I own a company called Magically, the Kevin Eikenberry Group, as well as co-founded, along with Wayne Trumel. you mentioned Wayne, um, something we call the Remote Leadership Institute. Um, And so we're in the business of helping leaders and organizations and teams get better results. And largely that happens through one way or another, helping people learn and apply something new.
0: Well, so we have had this little incident around the world that has somewhat accelerated this notion of remote work, and so you are in plumb position to take advantage of this i a question for you here we're we're sitting in spring twenty twenty one when this podcast will presumably be published. And um, Well, it's when we're
1: having the conversation. It's totally up to you when you publish it, my friend.
0: That's exactly right. But <laughs> I, I'm just thinking for the people who are listening, it won't be long after we, we get this recorded. Yeah. But yeah. basically, uh, in certain parts of the world, of course, it is different. Uh, we're coming back to work, having had sustained periods of lockdown, forced remote. What do you think actually is going to change? And how, how do you see companies evolving having had this period are we going to rush back to the office are we going to just lock down and stay out or we're going to do mixed and how are we going to do mixed differently
1: so that's probably the single biggest question i'm spending my time on and working with clients on right now uh mentor and of course it is different in different parts of the world where you live and where i live we are probably in that mode of coming back but when i talk to my client in india uh, tomorrow night, uh, they're main, they're really not there, right? In fact, they're they're in having their toughest time yet as you and I are having this conversation. So, but here's what I believe. Here's where I believe it's all going to shake out. And anyone who tries to tell you they know what's going to happen, you should take with a bit of a scant eye. No doubt. But having said that, I, I think I can give you some general direction. Uh, and I think the general direction is that, um, and I'll I'll say North America and Europe. Um that we're headed toward five to 10% of companies that are going to be largely remote. And we're headed toward a third of 25 to 30% of companies that are going to say, everyone's coming back. And that leaves 60 ish percent of folks that are going to have something in the middle, some sort of hybrid. Right. And, and, and we've been defining hybrid in lots of different ways. There's lots of different ways to get to that point. Um, but that's where I think we're going to end up long term. Now, to me, while that's the question everyone's asking for an individual company, and, and we need to ask that question sort of globally and you know right. sort of trend wise and all that stuff. Uh, but to me, the far more interesting con- question for any individual company is not what's your future of work, but how you're going to determine your future yeah. of work is, I think, a far more important question i i call it i I say mentor that right now we're in what i would call a moment that matters because the way people make the decision as well as the decision they make are going to have super long-term implications
0: well that actually is my next question because in the end of the day absolutely the trends are whatever they are but the issue is if i'm running a company what should i do and and obviously it depends on the context anyway to what extent i had to be remote to how much i was remote before the whole thing happened and so on and so forth but how would you in principle even go about the discussion because you need there's so many factors going into it including Uh, Many opinions, right? You know, like oh, I want to do this. I don't want to do that.
1: (laughs) Oh man, we've got opinions. There's no doubt about that. So, including leaders, and so one of the biggest mistakes that leaders can make is say, "I can't wait to get everybody back. We're bringing everybody back." Like, don't make the decision that might bringing everybody back might be the right answer for your organization. Doing it because that's what you want to do is absolutely wrong, and they're going to have all kinds of negative. Uh, implications for you. So, so I would say this. I think there are four things you've got to consider. What are the organizational wants and needs? Well, needs and wants. And what are the individuals' wants and needs, or needs and wants? And so, I think it's the it's the hooking of those four things together. Because what we need at the end of the day is what's the context for us? What's the context of how context of how much we were doing remotely before all this happened, or not? What's the context of how successful were we doing it remotely? Or not. What's the nature of our work? The nature of our work might say it really truly doesn't matter. If we can figure out how to lead the team and keep the team coalesced, it doesn't matter. Then then that we need to know that. We need to know all of those factors about the work in terms of what the organization needs, what the individuals need. And, and then I think we need to come to that conclusion. Well, and there are factors like, well, we already have dropped a lease on one of our buildings. We have a client. Uh, in North America, that's worldwide global client, Uh, three big buildings a year ago, going to only have one building when this is over. So like that informs some of it. So we can't have everybody coming back to their own desk if we've got a third as much space.
0: Like like you if say, those
1: decisions have already been made for other reasons, perhaps, then we need to factor that into our starting point and our context, mentor. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, what I want to do as a senior leader is understand all that context and then figure out where my team is, bring my team into that conversation because ultimately I want them to be committed to the decision we make.
0: Yeah, I think that's so important. And and the the issue of hybrid, which is basically, according to your prediction, and I think somehow naturally is gonna happen for so many companies is how to evolve the office experience when not everybody is necessarily coming back. So it kind of brings up a hot desk as a, a kind a kind of almost a necessary component to the extent it's hybrid. That means you have 100% of people, more or less a large number of people coming to the office at some point. And therefore, you can't possibly allocate them a desk 100%. It doesn't sound right, right.
1: Yeah, most people won't be able to because of whatever the situation will be, right? So call it hot desking, call it hoteling, call it whatever you want to call it. But there's that. But then there's also just when we use the word hybrid, it could mean lots of different things, including everyone comes at least one day a week right? Uh, and we're on some sort of rotating basis, which of course could lead to the same people are always together and the same people are always apart, which is going to cause us a whole nother set of mm. concerns, right? The hoteling or hot desking approach is going to leave some people with real concerns about, you know, sort of the the virus concerns component, right? Like being too close to people on a desk, what's the cleanliness? Some people that isn't bothering, some people that is, we need to know where we, everyone is with that. There's the sense of, you know, what will happen to my productivity if I'm at a different desk every day, if I don't have a picture of my, uh, of my spouse on the desk with me, like there's all of those things that will be to be determined. And we need to be thinking as organizations. And that's why one of the many reasons why we need to get the team, as involved as we can, as engaged in this process as we can, um, so that we come to our decision rather than someone making a decision.
0: Right. So, your the book, um, the long distance teammate, came out at the, at the beginning of this year, mm-hmm. and and obviously it took time to write it. Things have moved along. I'm wondering, as you sit, Kevin, when. You are looking to improve remote. What would you say has is the least understood difficulty about making remote work work?
1: I'll say two hard. It's always hard to say one thing. First thing I will say is the mindset of the those doing the work, which is there's a big difference, and th- this is maybe the big idea of the book. Um, there's a big difference between working from home and being and seeing yourself as a member of or a teammate to those you work with. Like the frame the mental framework of I work from home means that my work is the work on my list. But if I see myself as a part of a team, as a teammate to those I work with, it totally changes my perspective. And I think that's an under understood and underappreciated Difference, you know, two years ago, if you asked someone what they did, that no one would have said, "I work in an office." But you ask a lot of people right now, "What do you do?" Well, I work at home. Like, what's the point of that, right? And if that's how you're seeing your work, that's really having a big impact on how you how you do it. And I think the other thing that is underappreciated, although I think the pandemic has helped us with this at least a little, is that everyone's experience of this is different. Uh, everyone's experience of it is different. Like what I would call the COVID layer of how you feel about it, and ha- who around you, and the, and the age of the people around you, and all that stuff. Uh, your level of anxiety and worry, and all that stuff. But there, everyone's working from home situation is different. So as a leader, we can't just assume that I understand it because I've done it. But you know, some people have their own workspace. Some people are working from the north end of their dining room table. Some people are working on a little card table in their bedroom. Uh, they live in a studio apartment. They got 12 other, I mean, like there's a 100 differences here. And I don't think that leaders, individual leaders have spent, a really understand that enough and the implications of that. So
0: it, it seems to me that our experience through this pandemic has even been one of change. That's to say we've all been forced into this situation, obviously coming from different contexts. But then we there's a puppy love. Oh, this is excitement. Oh, I get to work from home. I get to see my dog, I get to see my kids, I get to see lots of things. And then lockdown two, oh, this again. Lockdown three, oh not this again. And and so even as we we've got to this new situation, there it, it comes with baggage if you want to move into remote. And, and very few people haven't had the experience. So that can be reinforcing, it can be accelerating, and it can be decelerating in terms of where we are today. Yeah, for sure.
1: And, um, you know, I think that for us as leaders to assume that everyone's feeling the same way about all those different junctures is not right either, right? So, so um, the last research I read, uh, in the US, is that 68% of people would feel like they would prefer something that's hybrid, right? I go to the office some of the time, I work from home some of the time, or I work remotely some of the time. And, um, but even though that's what people want moving forward, there are, if you've never done it, you don't understand that that's going to be another bigger change than you realize right? Like we were all forced to send to go home. Like whether you liked it or not, you went home. And like you said, there's that puppy love moment. There's that honeymoon time. Like this is pretty cool. And even though this is hard, we're all in this together and we figured out how to make it work. And some people were so surprised in the first first, uh, four to six weeks that how well it went. That's because everyone was focused on it and everyone really did sort of come together to figure it out, right? But all of that ended. Uh, and, and, and I, I think now people are saying, man, I, I liked working in the office. Some of the time I like working at home some of the time, I think I want both and there's going to be a huge transition for people, just like there was the last time, the last time it was forced the next time it will be chosen in some cases, but it's still going to have huge implications on routine, on productivity, on communication, on work-life balance. And we could go right and down the list.
0: Mm, absolutely. So you write about building relationships, building and maintaining relationships. You also have a chapter about building and maintaining trust. Getting into this point, we have all come across the idea that actually cats, dogs, and children participate in work, or at least through the Zoom in the background. And and so my question for you is: To what extent do you think work is personal?
1: Work is personal because we bring ourselves to work. And if we try to not, if we try, I mean, I'm not saying that we can't compartmentalize, right? Like there's the professional us and the personal us and the private us. And we could think about it that way, right? But um, I, I don't think, I'll put it this way. If work isn't personal for you, you aren't reaching anywhere near what you're capable of. Achieving, in terms of productivity and in terms of meaning. I love
0: it. I I, I mean I hundred percent subscribe to the same perspective, Kevin, and and I think it, it's it's clear in in what you write about. But when you when it comes to building and maintaining relationships with remote as a part of the problem, how do you cross the gap, the Kyber Pass? Uh, you know, outside of you know, always asking, "Hey, how are you?" Because now that's a COVID issue, and then the kid that pops in the background. Oh, you have kids, so there's a serendipity. But is there a advice as to how to allow for the personal when you're always about the outputs? Somehow, you know, that's sort of the 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 way you make remote work work is focusing on the outputs. Yet this idea of personal, it's messy. It's it's the mistake of the cat jumping up on the desk. It's, it's, it's less about output and it's more about serendipity and, and weirdness almost.
1: So let me make a couple of points. The first thing I'll say is that, and we wrote about this in the book, The Long Distance Leader, and I, I, I talk about it all the time, is that as a leader, uh, you you are responsible for both outcomes and others, that you can't lead without there being a tension between the outcomes and others, between the results and the relationships, between the task and the people, if you will. And so I think that early in the pandemic, we tended to lean closer, more toward the people, we granted people grace and, you know, all that. And and then we said, oh, Holy smokes, we have work to do. And 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 the, the right answer is to always feel that tension. And there's not there's not a right place, but there's absolutely a wrong place too far on either end of that spectrum. Right. As a leader. The wrong places are at the ends of that of that continuum. And, and over time, now there's a moment. Right. Like if we have a project that's due on Monday and we need to elicit everybody for the weekend, maybe, maybe, depending, you know, maybe there's a moment, there's a season, there's a time, but not over long haul. And that's why it's a tension. That's why it's a, it's a moving back and forth. But for individuals and, and even for us as as leaders now, if if I, if I want to make sure that that personal piece, that messy piece, that relationship piece is recognized and valued and strengthened across my team or across our team, then we have to model it. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Example one is here's what happens. And I'll I'll use a phone. Like you pick up the phone, like I, everybody, I work for mentor, right? Hey mentor, I know you're busy. Got j- just need a second. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. I know I mean I know you got a lot to do. Uh, here's my question. Thanks buy and all we did was transact business and there's a time when that's what we need to do mm-hmm. but if every time we're talking we're only having a transaction that's mm-hmm. a problem mm-hmm. there has to be interactions too because and here's the here was the beautiful thing about the cat hopping up on the laptop although I have an experience with one of my team members cats hopped up faced the other person and all I saw was the back into the cat, which wasn't all that pleasant. But even that led to a laugh, right? Mm-hmm. So like even that is, is sort of okay because it led to interaction, mm. right? I have a client who we've been doing an ongoing set of training with. And every time the client, she comes on to introduce the training and I'm there. and And one time I'm like, where's the dog? Your dog is always back behind you. Where's the dog? Like, so it gives us a new, but when we were in the office, we had those things too right? So so what I would say is that as a leader, we have to role model that the relationships matter. And that means that you've got to be making sure that you're having interactions and not just transactions. And that's why for me personally, I have what I call the rule of four, that every day, it is my goal at the start of the day to have had true interactions with at least 4 members of our team now they might not mm-hmm. all be on the phone or on you know on on the webcam they might be they might be in an instant message but it's a, it's not just i need this piece of information it's an interaction there's a laughter component there's a a realness messiness unpredictability serendipity moment mm-hmm. of it that mm-hmm. all happened in the workplace so i'm setting that standard for myself, which makes it t- far more okay for others to say, well, it's okay for me to actually, you know, spend five minutes having a cup of coffee while I'm talking to one of my team, one of my colleagues, rather than just getting on to the next thing, because Kevin never does that.
0: It makes me, I mean, I had this question, uh, you, you, you use the word once in the book, uh, serendipity, uh, because I, the, the, the notion of serendipity, I think is, is more regular, even if it's an irregular idea in the first place at work. You have a, oh, hey, oh, Kevin, there you are. I have a thought for you or, and you allow for an informality of the exchange. So taking your rule of four, which I kind of characterize and correct me if I'm wrong, as your policy of serendipity at some level.
1: Well, that's a good way to say it. You know, I, know, I, I love the word serendipity, but we use two other words related to it. Like when we're in the office, there are incidental accidental interactions, right? And then some of those are serendipitous, right? So um, yeah. So, And so those four interactions. Now, if I have a scheduled one-on-one with somebody, I'm just going to make sure that I intentionally don't just make that about the work. So, so some of those, some of that might come in a planned meeting, mm-hmm. but it's meant to keep me focused on serendipity it's meant to keep me focused on the pulse of folks and building my and continuing to build my relationships with them because it's the amount of interaction is part of how strong our relationships are right and to be a little bit crass
0: but why four why not five or three
1: um no it's perfectly fine so there are 13 members of our team they don't all report directly to me uh, but it's just to give you a context right there's about Beautiful. 13 of us about a dozen of us i think 13 counts me so there's a dozen people and so if i'm if i haven't talked to if i haven't interacted with someone in three or four days that's probably a problem and so it's you know it's four it could not be five it would it be better if it's five or six probably. Would mm-hmm. I make my number as often? Maybe not. Should it be six? Perhaps. Um, there's nothing magical about it. But giving you, the, giving you the bigger picture is probably useful to say, how, where did I come up with four?
0: Yeah. And, that, and I think what's interesting about that is, as a leader, when you're trying to move into it, the, you're not going to copycat rule of four. But the mindset that you have in coming up with it, and I'm pretty sure you're not dogmatic about it, because maybe some days you're on an airplane for thirteen hours and it doesn't happen.
1: Well, I haven't been on one of those in thirteen months, but um, but yeah, but absolutely, absolutely right. It's 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 the reason I call it the rule of four is it's about me being intentional. Yeah, exactly. It's about, I, I I work from lists. It's on the list. And if it's not on the list next, oh my gosh, I haven't talked to Chuck in 17 days. That's a problem. Yeah. Right. And so it does, and it's not dogmatic and it's not, you know, on a rotating basis, no one can figure out, well, it's Tuesday. So I'm going to hear from Kevin. That's not it either. Cause that misses it entirely. Mm-hmm. Well, it misses it almost entirely. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but it's, it's, if at the end of the day when I'm driving home again I do come to this office I'm the only one that's here most of the time but um when I'm driving home, if I say who did i who did I interact with today and I don't come up with three or four, then I failed my job as a leader today in one in one way. That's how I look at it.
0: I love it. Uh, well, I think that's absolutely uh, appropriate. and so I wanted to come up I would tell you that in listening to you I, I think I've just come up with a Well, you you presumably actually have had this thought before, but I I think, oh, wow. (laughs) Don't
1: bet on it. Don't bet (laughs) on it.
0: I love the way you express this notion of the tension between outputs and others, between tasks and people. And it made me think of this notion we often talk about, the balance between life and work. I think we should be calling it the tension
1: between life and work, because this notion
0: of balance is so fleeting.
1: Well, here's the thing about balance. There's, you know, if you put a scale and, and I'm, I'm showing you this, no one else can see it, I know. But if you have a scale, it balances. Like it's it's never static. It's always moving. So if you want to use the balance of work and life, or as one of my team members likes to say, life and work, uh, then you have to recognize that it's always a moving target. There's no such thing as perfect, certainly not for you, me to subscribe per, to prescribe for you or for me to prescribe for one of my team members, that would be incredibly presumptuous and completely incorrect. And it's different at different stages in our lives and different times of the day. Uh, I mean, I could, I could tell you how I manage that balance or that tension when I'm on vacation. And some people would judge me and say, Kevin, that's just ridiculous, but you know what works for me. And that's what matters works for me works for my family, works for my team.
0: And again, that, that's a,
1: that's the answer, right?
0: Like a lot of times, as we were saying at the beginning, there is no cookie cutter solution. You need to figure out your own path. You can take ideas, stimulate them, but you need to put them into your own cauldron, stir it up and come up with your own solution.
1: And I think that's why, that's what, That's how I see my work. And I think, you know, this is our second conversation, right? Uh, That's kind of how you see your work, I think, in that our job is to provide people with ideas and frameworks and thoughts to inform the choices they need to make. So to help them have a mindset that allows them to make better decisions for them.
0: So I have a a, a bunch of other maybe more technical questions, uh, which you address, of course, in the book. So they should just go buy the book. Well, damn straight. But and um, this one came up because recently I, uh, at the end of a day, having done numerous Zoom calls, I got fatigued by being on the camera. And, and so this is in the context of me being okay with my face on the camera. This is okay with my idea of showing up and, and, and having good equipment and la da da Good lighting, as you mentioned, all these other things that go into it. Yet, some days, I just would rather do a voice call. So I, I call somebody and, and they switch it to video. And I, I'm not prepared to it. I call on audio.
1: So I want to talk to you on the phone. So, so I so a couple of thoughts about that. One is, um, now for you and I, we may not be quite the same way with that because we're working with people outside of our organization. But inside of your organization, just set some agreements about all that, right? About hey, if I if I if I reach, so the agreement might be if I reach out to you audio only. Please respect that. Or you can ask, "Hey, did you mean? Did you know that your camera's off?" And if I say, "Yeah, it's off," then I'm okay with that. So there's some there's some setting of boundaries and expectations about that inside of an organization. Or, you know, the way I avoid that one is, for the most part, if I, we're not going to be on the camera, I just use the phone. Literally, use the phone as opposed to turning on Zoom or Teams without my camera on, because we are now. And and I'm a big fan of the webcam. We talk about that in the book. Indeed. I'm a huge fan for lots of reasons related to the communication and all those other things. And yet it doesn't mean, I, I, you know, a few, I don't know, probably been a couple months ago. Now I wrote an article that said the most, the most underutilized tool during the pandemic is the phone because everyone immediately, you know, because, you know, it used to be, well, now we can use the video. That's awesome. But doesn't, we don't always need that all that richness. We need more than sending an email we need more than sending a text message. The phone might be more than enough. So I think it's about s- sharing your intention, setting some expectations around that. If I were doing that with a client, I would just say, hey, I'd like for this to be a voice call. I'm going to be in a location or whatever. And I think people are going to understand that. But you're right. You know, That's how you end up with you know, all of the uh, cringeworthy things we see where suddenly people are on their camera when... They weren't prepared to be on. We'll just say not prepared to be on their camera.
0: And it 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 struck me that the somehow uh, pandemic was there. This participated in the excitement behind the quote unquote new beta launched clubhouse, which is focused on audio. It's only for iOS and 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 many other things. Maybe uh, you know for the privileged few as yet. But it did seem to put a focus on the value of audio. And just like listening to a podcast is different than watching a podcast, like, like, like listening to an audiobook is different than reading an audiobook. And, and, and I'm not suggesting one is necessarily better than the other. But they're definitely different. Yeah. And, and there seems to be a, a thirst for audio again. That's my feeling. What about you?
1: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. It's hard for me. I've, I've not been in Clubhouse uh, in in part because that's a choice that I've got to make from a marketing perspective, and I've chosen to not make that. Well, I guess I've chosen by choosing not to, at least at this mm-hmm. point. Um, but I I think that you're right. Here's what happened early in the pandemic, that po- most most all podcast listening went down. Uh, certainly. Uh, Podcasts like yours and mine in the business realm and a lot of those realms they went down early in the pandemic because in part because people were trying to figure out their lives and in part because the times that they listened didn't exist anymore on their commute in the gym etc. But all of that's back and now growing again and 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 so maybe part of that's people figuring it out. But I think your point is a good one that there's probably a bit of a thirst there. And I would just say back to our from a practical nature in the workplace is is don't forget that you can use the phone or that audio can be valuable. It doesn't have to be email or webcam.
0: Exactly. There's this
1: other thing in the middle. You know, there was a time before we had webcams and Zoom and Microsoft Teams and all this stuff when. Don't tell me about
0: the fax machine.
1: No, I, I know. Just kidding. (laughs) It's okay. No, well, you know, in the US, uh, there was a time back in the day or maybe even before the fax machine when AT&T advertised for long distance calling. Right. And you might remember some of some people will have to like Google long distance calling, but you paid more if it was outside of a local area and they advertise it this way. It's the next best thing to being there. And while I would argue that the video camera is truly the next best thing to being there, don't underestimate the value of the voice. Mm -hmm. Don't underestimate that because too often right now we're only choosing between. It's like, I'll give you an example, mentor, my daughter, about ready to graduate from college, a, a brilliant, I'm not biased or anything, but a brilliant young woman, super smart, really good communicator. And here's what she would say to me. Uh, well, I, I I talked to them. I said, did you talk to them? Well, I texted them. I said, not the same thing. And that's the difference. I didn't say, did you see him? Did you talk to him? And we can get an awful lot from the audio, I believe. I think you're right. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, I love that you say that because I, I had the same chat with my daughter who's graduating from university exactly the same time. So, Birds of the feather. One more feather. thing that we have in common. Exactly. So um, so moving into emails, uh, to the extent that you're working with Do remotely, we have to? Yeah, well a little bit. <laughs> uh, there's there's there naturally has to be, I think, more communications going on. And and how would you characterize the intentionality behind how you communicate? once you're moving let's say into more remote where you can also have too much email try to compensate for the informalities the hey kevin you know in the street don't forget the uh, thing i was telling you about yeah and moving that into an email can seem awfully abrupt
1: exactly so here's what i would say in the book we talk about uh, the trade off between richness and scope so every communication medium that we would use is a trade off between richness and scope and richness uh is almost exactly what it sounds like right the richest possible communication is one on one face to face in a room together right synchronous small group we've got the ver- the virtual uh, we've got the the verbal the the visual and the and, and the vocal cues we got everything right that's rich everything else is a trade off for that right so uh, an email to a bunch of people has a lot of scope, much less, less richness. So from my perspective, one of the most valuable things that we can do to be better communicators in a remote world is to be intentional about which communication tool we're using. It's This is an extension of our conversation. Hey, the phone's an awesome tool. Use it. Not as rich as the webcam, but that's okay sometimes. Rich enough. Richer than an email, right? And I actually think that Uh, instant messaging tools, we happen to use Slack in our organization, whether in your organization you're using Microsoft Teams or whatever you're using, uh, that that that's in a, that's different. It's, and that's even different than a text message. Uh, And it's different than email, right? So I think it's about picking the right tool to use. And going back to something we said earlier, that's for the, you as an organization or as a team to figure out our etiquette, and our choices, right? And maybe you're still, you know, a year in struggling with that. If you feel like there are some people like, okay, I got it. I don't remember. Oh, oh, that's mentor. I need to email him. Oh, that's Judy. I need to text her. Oh, that's Parker. I need to send them an instant message. If you're still living in that world, that's a problem. That's causing you problems, right? Come to some general. Now I can recognize that perhaps, you you prefer email and so everything else being equal i might pick email for you but we need to have some general uh, agreements about when we're using which tools so that we all of them become more effective
0: when i was running redkin uh, out of new york worldwide one of the things that i thought was brilliant was coming up with a the 24 hour rule which yeah. essentially said that you if you have an issue with somebody You must deal with it within 24 hours. And we mandated what dealing with it looks like, which couldn't be just a fax or an email. Hey, uh, Kevin, I was pissed with you yesterday about how you spoke about my division in the meeting. That doesn't cut it. It had to be a human to human interaction. And, um, And it just makes me think of within the telephone area, when you make the call, it's on your time. You're ready to make the call. The person receiving it may or may not have it in their calendar. Then the other little sexy piece to that is actually the voicemail. Because you don't have to pick up my call. I called you, Kevin. I, I had a set with you, but you, you're in another meeting and, and you don't have to pick it up, of course. Yet I then can leave that message. And, and in that message, you're going to hear my voice, my consternation or my emotion in any event. And at that, if you've made the right policy per se, hey, listen, Kevin, I had an issue with what happened yesterday. I need to speak with you quickly and urgently and importantly because this is part of our 24 hour rule. So it's couched as a portion of my thing. You hear the seriousness of it in my voice and yet I'm not confronting you with a webcam on it I, but you can hear my humanity even in my voice.
1: Well, let's compare. Let's compare the that voicemail to an email, mm. right? The voicemail is richer, mm. right? You don't just have words; you have verbal and vocal, mm. right? Which which makes it a more effective and more likely to be understood and received message, right? Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, you know I think that that um, man Scott Jones, the guy who invented voicemail, is probably thinking, have you forgotten me, everyone? and i think the answer is many of us have now one of the things that we do on our team is for the most part we don't just call someone we send them a quick note and say hey i need 5 minutes of your time i'd like when could we have a quick call mm-hmm. which gets past the and not not always in just a i got 24 hours to you know to solve this thing but just as a general communicate that's our practice because it keeps someone from being off you know interrupting right. someone and all those sorts of things but it doesn't preclude us from sending a voicemail to your very point mm-hmm. I think that's
0: a really important point. I I was just enjoying riffing off what you've been saying, Kevin. Um, You talk about working alone and about energy, and obviously you have these different frameworks. A lot of times when you're building trust, it it seems obvious, but if you don't have the trust before you go into remote work, mayday. How How do you go about, I mean, I think really that's frankly with, Statistics showing how disengaged most employees really are, how little trust there is in corporate oh bullshit. No, no, sorry, corporate communications and and in executives for holding their word, there's a, a low level as a high level of mistrust in general. How does one go about what do you need to amp up to build trust? In so you want to talk
1: sort of from the organ from the from the leader or organizational's perspective with my team? Is that the yeah. question? The way yeah. you want to frame this? So, so uh, I would say number one, you have to recognize you know, acknowledgement is half the is a part of the battle. You have to recognize that those statistics probably aren't just for everybody else, but they probably apply to you too. That's number one. Number two, as an individual leader somewhere in the middle of that, you have to recognize that communication. You have two. You are a conduit that you are the face and the voice of the organization to your team. And so if they don't trust that, it isn't necessarily about you, but then what can you do to manage or improve that? You are the face and the voice of the organization to your team. And you are the face and the voice of your team to the organization, which is more important than ever because your boss doesn't happen to interact with your folks anymore in the office because none of us are there. And so... Folks higher in the organization don't have a clue what's going on with your folks. You are their face and voice. So if you are their face and voice and they know that you are, that you understand their needs and their concerns and that you are voicing and sharing those things, that in itself is building trust with you. If you are sharing messages downward and, and you, sense that they're falling on deaf ears then what do you need to do to change the message there is no communication until message is received and understood yeah. right so yeah. i'm not just saying well it's my job to send the message no it's my job to get the message received and if i'm willing to take the time to help people really understand what's being said people are going to notice that and that's all of that is trust building and i'll give you one more thing that is probably the most the easiest way for us to build trust with others is to shut up and listen. Hmm. There you go. These... We, we can all do that every day and we will build trust with others with our leader hat on or not. If we'll talk less, talk later, shut up and listen.
0: Absolutely glorious way to end our conversation, Kevin. I, I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I I loved uh, the practical kind of outlook you have, non-dogmatic, useful, and this idea of communicating upwards and downwards and and making people feel present, making them feel heard. uh, and, And that communication is about making it received as well as delivered, or at least maybe more importantly, making sure it's received as opposed to just being delivered. Huge thanks, Kevin. Lovely fun, as expected. Where can people uh, grab more? Of course, get your books that are really, really valuable. Whether it's as leadership or teams, uh, and get more about you, and maybe even hey hire you to learn how to become a more effective remote or hybrid team. What a novel thought!
1: Uh, So, thanks. So, first of all, thanks for having me. I knew how much fun I had when when we were on the other sides of the mic. And so I was excited for us to do this. So thanks for the chance to do it. Um, People can, you can go anywhere you can, you can find books. You can find long distance leader or long distance teammate, long distance leader, book.com long distance Uh, You can get all sorts of resources about remote and, and more by going to remote leadershipinstitute.com. And in terms of connecting with me, Personally, certainly you can get to me through all those places, but you know, LinkedIn is a great place and um, email as wonderful as it can be sometimes doesn't get through or whatever, uh, you know, send a note to me, connect with me on LinkedIn, let me know that you heard me here, I'd love to be connected with you. And if you can spell my name, which you can from the show notes, Kevin Eikenberry, E-I-K, e n b e r r y you can find me on linkedin is is that something you
0: can eat as well is it a berry that you can eat or where did the name come from
1: (laughs) yeah that's how we spent with it you know i'm a big fan of blueberries raspberries and and more but i i will probably have to pass on this
0: all right this is the best berry all right kevin thanks so much my pleasure thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter dialogue show You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on mintodial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
2: Still, I won't tell the lie.